So today we have a very special guest, Vitaly Katzenelson. Vitaly immigrated to the United States with his family in 1991, and then after joining the Denver-based value investment firm in 1997, he became chief investment officer in 2007 and then CEO in 2012. Vitaly has written two books on investing. He is also an award-winning writer. Forbes magazine called him the new Benjamin Graham. He's written for publications including the Financial Times, Barron's, Institutional Investor, and Foreign Policy. Policy. His articles are also published on his website, Contrarian Edge, and in audio format on his Intellectual Investor podcast. Now, before we begin the podcast, it's important to note that the podcast is not a recommendation to buy or sell any stocks, holdings, or securities, and it's not a research report. And finally, it's meant for informational purposes only. So first off, Vitaly, thank you for taking the time to join the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to have you here. So first off, let's on the podcast, you mentioned on a different podcast, you mentioned how it took you a few years to figure out that you love to invest. And for me, it was pretty similar as I heard of the concept when I was around 10 years old, but didn't actually decide to do research about it and dive deeper into it until I was around 12. And the main reason why I first started investing was that I was a huge fan of Apple and their technological ability. So I thought it'd be really cool to own a fraction of the company. But what was your turning point that hooked you to learn more about investing? I think I I took a finance class and I really, for some reason, finance clicked with me, like analyzing company clicked with me. And then also later in life, I realized what, you know, in the hindsight, I realized what I really like about investing is that it's a very challenging, creative, intellectual journey. It's, it's a journey where you get to learn a lot about different companies, different industries, various topics. This is what really attracts me to investing. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. And one type of investing that has been very popular with the next generation is retail trading with over 10 million new brokerage accounts opened in 2021. And the reason why is because in some cases it can be compared to gambling where young investors have the chance to hit it big with just a few clicks. Now, trading is very risky with around 1% of day traders actually being profitable. Now, on the other hand, methods like value investing have become very popular from people like Warren Buffett. But how does value investing compare to trading and other types of active investing like growth investing? Well, let's compare it to trading. Trading is basically, for the most part, it's gambling. I have a few friends who are traders, and I don't really know anybody who been a very successful trader for a long period of time. There was a there was a lot of successful traders. At some point, they usually blow up. Okay, so in those people that are trying to uh, find some kind of patterns in the market, whatever, a lot of people think they're investing, but they're really trading. And there's a distinction. The traders who know they're trading, that's one thing. A lot of people, just because they're buying a stock, they think it's investing. The act of buying a stock does not make you an investor. What makes you an investor, the process you go through to buy the stock, your attitude. The stock market has a feature in the bag at the same time, liquidity. I can buy and sell a stock at the same, you know, I can buy a stock and sell it five minutes later. Or three minutes later. So it's a bug and a feature. It's a feature because it provides you instant liquidity if you want to get out of things. You know, if you if if you change your mind, it's a bug because it inc- it turns a lot of people into traders. 
or, spe- or speculators or gamblers, basically. So they, it's really gamblers because for a lot of people, they're just l- treating stock as it was casino chips in Las Vegas. That's all it is. They're buying it and because they get a tip and they, you know, they hope it goes up. They've done zero research. A lot of times they know the ticker. They don't even know the company's name or what company does. So that is not investing. That is trading. But value investing is is when you approach your analysis as if you're buying the whole company. You, you you refer to it in the beginning, fractional ownership. That's for absolutely, that's exactly the right way to, pro- to approach it. As if you're buying the whole company and then you're analyzing it as, as if it was a private company. How much would you pay for it? You would, you know, like if you were, let's say you wanted to buy McDonald's franchise, like near McDonald's store. How would you analyze it? You would start looking at, the traffic patterns you know, around the store. Is this area growing or shrinking? Is there a place for Burger, you know, for Burger King to build a store next to you? That's the analysis you would go through, right? And you would not really care if the weather is good or bad because that's tomorrow because it's going to influence sales. Those things are relevant because you're really, you care about cash flows that this business would generate over a long period of time. And that's what investing is. Okay, that's what value investing is. And Warren Buffett said that the whole term of value investing is redundant. And he's right because investing is investing. It's a being approaching analysis of a company as if you were going to buy the whole company, that is investing. I wrote this primer on value investing and and it's absolutely free. It was going to be a chapter of the book that I never finished. Your listeners can read it on sixcommandments.com. And I discuss it there. So growth investing is, well, it's a tricky subject because some of my great value investing friends, some would consider them growth investors. And what basically what they do, they look at companies that grow earnings that have a sustainable competitive advantage and that very high earnings growth rate, which at some point will result in very large cash flows. So if you look at these companies, these companies may not look cheap statistically in your face. But because, you know, because my friends believe that the company has a very large addressable market, it has a moat, and, you know, that the earnings will reveal themselves in the future and will be much larger. And therefore, based on those earnings, the company is cheap. To me, that is still value invested if you think there is margin of safety. Uh, What happens a lot of times, people get so excited about the high growth that they basically become indifferent how much they pay for the company. Because like you take a company like Twilio, Shopify, this kind of high growth companies, they got to at valuations where it was incredibly difficult to justify their price. Even though and those are good companies run by good people and at certain price, which even though these companies may appear to be expensive, you know, kind of incurred earnings, they would become good values. On the future earnings. So I think what happened over well, like this is what happened in the dot-com bubble. A lot of and this is what happened in the dot-com bubble 2.0, which is last year. So you can be a value investor and own companies that are growing very, very fast that look statistically expensive on today's earnings. But the value investment principles still apply. The company, you still have to be looking at it as a business, company is a business, and you still need to have margin of safety. 
And for those of you in the audience who don't know, growth investing also contributes to companies who are, have a compound annual growth rate of around 20% or more. And in some cases, that can be smaller firms, but in many cases, it could also be big companies, for example, like Microsoft. But in our current economy, what is your process in assessing a company's managerial ability and researching whether a stock is a value stock? And then how can investors do the same? Well, when we analyze companies, we look for three things three generic kind of, you know, three generic things. We're looking for great business. What does a great business mean? Companies that has a sustainable competitive advantage. Company that I could buy and hold for 10 years and wouldn't have to worry about competitive threats. I would also have a company that has a good balance sheet. So that's that would be high quality company. We would look at management and we'd want management to be good at, at well, you know, doing a good job running the company and allocating capital. Two different skills. Sometimes you find people who are great running the company, not good capital allocators. And for larger companies, that's that's probably a bigger threat. For large com- for larger companies, and then you need valuation. So you have a high quality company, you have good management, and then you need to you want to buy it at a significant discount to what to what I think it's worth, because the future may end up looking different than you expect it to be. And in the book you published back in 2010, The Little Book of Sideways Markets, one example in that book is you analyzed Walmart's earnings. From 1999 to 2010, the the earnings almost tripled from $1.25 per share to $3.42 a share, growing at an impressive rate of 11.8% a year. However, during that time, the stock was very volatile. And it does show that these types of stock charts can be very deceiving. And we see a lot of traders and investors instead take a look at the stock charts as an indication of past performance and future performance. But instead of looking at the stock charts, what are some things that investors should be analyzing instead? At the end of Southland, Walmart was trading, I forget, 45 or 50 times earnings or even more. So even though its earnings have grown almost at 12% a year, earnings you know, went up threefold, I think, right? But the stock price... The you know that increase in earnings was offset by price earnings decline. So the, the the lesson here is that the price you pay matters. So those people who loved Walmart and saw it as a growth company in 2000, they were right. It was a growing company, except it was overvalued. So the price you pay does matter. So sometimes people look at the chart and they say, "Look, this stock hasn't gone anywhere," and that makes this stock looking attractive to them. Right, yeah. For me, actually, that piques my interest. Why? Because if this company was growing earnings for a long period of time, the the stock actually might have gotten cheap. It's a hypothesis. And I would look at it and say, well, maybe it has or it hasn't, but it's it's possible. But I, like in general, I don't pay that much attention to charts overall. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I've done through my investing is I've noticed that experience can be the best teacher. And one time I invested in a company like Fitbit and I enjoyed their fitness trackers and their products. So I decided, hey, they're probably a great company too. And I made the investment. It was a small investment and it resulted in a decrease in the capital and it ended up not being a great decision. And one of the things I learned from that is just having great products does not contribute to being a great company and financially stable and strong. But what is one of the most important things that you have learned in your decades of value investing? People matter. Actually, I learned this when I became a CEO of IMA, investment firm I run, because you realize how much difference 
good people make in the business. So now when we analyze companies, we spend a lot more time thinking about management, about how well they run the business. A lot of times you buy companies where managers own a lot of the stock. They own operators. So people are extremely, extremely important. I totally agree with your point on people. All companies are made up of a group of people working together. And we've mentioned that on the show before. It's super important. But I currently do some work in venture capital, which is very different from public investing. But I know in VC, we've seen a shift in the industry where there's more of a focus on cash flow and profitability than there was a year ago. And at my firm, we're now shifting our focus to match what's going on in the industry and that shift in the industry. But how do value, how do you, how does value investing change or if it does in a bear market compared to a bull market? And how do you analyze it? I think investing is a multivariable equation. I mean, meaning that it's not like you just pay attention to people and ignore cash flows, right? It just, in the past, I would, you know, when I was analyzing the company, I spent a lot more time looking at the mold. I spent time looking at the molds. I look at the balance sheet. I look at the valuation, all these different things. And the weight I would put on people was much lower. Today, it's the weight I put on people. Like if I if I if I do all the analysis and it checks off on valuation, on quality, etc., but I don't trust the management, I would not buy the stock. So so I just want to make you know, I just want to explain that it's a like venture capital industry goes through some this kind of binary cycle. So we we don't care about the cash flows. We care about the people. Or I guess now they care about cash flows because the capital is not there anymore. Right. <laughs> and and people are less important. I think both are important. And they should have been important in, you know, six months ago, eight months ago. In terms of venture capital, networking in VC has been extremely important in terms of accessing deal flow. And even just one or two companies could completely change the outcome of a portfolio. But in terms of value investing, I know you've mentioned the importance of a network before. And how can investors start acquiring that network early and start building that up? It's a good question. So let me tell you what I did because I'm, I'm trying to figure out like if I if you're a retail investor, I guess you can start joining different investment clubs, and maybe you can. Oh, the chat boards online, this kind of thing. Like, that's not what I did. I basically, over time, I built a network of people I respect. And like, I would read that, let's say I would read that as an investment letter. And I really liked the thinking. I would reach out to them and talk to them. And and then we started the investment conference in Vail. And that helped me to build, you know, increase my network. And I'm also not, not a good example in general because, because I wrote a few investment books. So that raised my profile in the industry and naturally expose me to more people. But I think you're making a very good point. I think you should proactively build your network because especially in today's environment, the things that look stare you in the face cheap, a lot of times you don't want to buy them because they have some big issues and the cheapness is deceiving. So a lot of my ideas now come from my network, from people who live in different countries, you know, from uh, investors like me in the US and different countries. And a lot of times those ideas the cheapness does not, does not stare you in the face. There is something, there is a, a one asset maybe losing, you know, one division maybe losing money and it obscures profitability of another division, something that would not, the screen would not catch. So I think having a network is extremely, extremely important. And I think you'd be proactively built it here. And I would encourage anybody who invests to do the same. 
Absolutely. And to wrap it up here, where can people learn more about you and what you do? And then what would be one piece of investing insight you would give to the next generation of investors? Well, so people can learn about me. At, they can go to contrarianedge.com. I just wrote the new book, Soul in the Game. And this book has absolutely nothing to do with investing, but it has to do with investing into, in your life, which is probably the most important investment you can make. And they can find it on a so, book is sold everywhere, but they can learn more about the book on the soul in the game.net and become a podcast intellectual investor on investor.fm. Now, what's the most investment? Actually, you know what? Like I wrote this letter and I, about two years ago, three years ago, I wrote this essay called Letter to Young Investor. And there I kind of wrote it to, to myself, like when I was like 20 years younger or 25 years younger. And I would encourage you, your listeners, to read that essay. And maybe you can put it in your show notes and I'll give you the link. Or they can go to Contour and Edge and read that essay because it's a four or five page essay where I kind of provide a checklist. What, what advice do I have for my younger self? And so, yes, that, that, that would be my advice. I know kind of, it's a, again, it's a, I'm not, it's a, it's a maybe sounds a little bit so promotional, but it's not really just, it's a, I answered the question in such a great detail there that it's a would help people, I think. Gotcha. All right, everyone. Well, that wraps it up for today's episode. Thank you, Vitaly, for taking the time to join the show. It was a pleasure to have you. And uh, if you enjoyed the show, for listeners, make sure to drop a faster review down below. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you.